Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is... Hi, I'm Melanie Gibson. I'm your guest. I'm a writer, a martial artist, and a wannabe comedian podcaster. <laughs> Do a lot of things like me. So um, let's learn a little bit about you. Where are you from originally? I'm from Texas, uh, born and raised to non-Texas parents. So that was an interesting upbringing. I was born in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and then raised in a small town called Sm- Snyder. And it's about 90 miles from everywhere. It's about 90 miles from Lubbock and Abilene out in West Texas. So that was a nice place to grow up, small town. And then I came back to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for college and graduate school and jobs. And I've been here since 1997. I live in Fort Worth now. Got it. What, um, there's a couple things we wanted to kind of talk about. One is is the big pressing issue that I think a lot of people can relate to, which is you know, our experiences in, in the lovely world of mental health. Um, we both have a common interest in martial arts. Um, where, uh, see where we want to start this. You wrote a book that kind of covers both of those things. What was the, the genesis for the book? So the genesis of the book was when I realized that I had a story to tell. So I, I'm not a lifelong writer. I suppose I am. I I was more of a visual artist when I was younger, and then I started to express myself more with writing, but I never had a dream or an aspiration to write a book. I started writing about martial arts around 2014, and that was about a year into my Taekwondo journey. And then I'd just gotten practice enough, and you know, as a writer, you start to observe things, and you get in the habit of observing things that happen and finding those life lessons and finding a way to share it and relate it to your audience. And I had enough of it. I thought, I think I've got a full story. I think I've got a book here. And so it's, it's uh, tells the story of how I use Taekwondo to overcome some really difficult mental health problems. Taekwondo was something I'd done as a child for a couple of years out in Snyder. And then I got busy with other interests and never thought I'd pick it up again, but I got a hit a, a rock bottom in 2013, just at an emotional bad place and thought, why not now? Why not start something again? And, and this was kind of funny, a, a fate thing, I guess. My childhood instructors in Snyder reported up to a grandmaster in here in Fort Worth, where I live now, which I never really put two and two together. I never knew he operated his school here. So when I found him online and saw he was about five miles from where I live, I thought, okay, well, this is fate. I have to start again. And it was, I started experiencing some positive mental and emotional changes pretty soon, maybe not overnight, but pretty soon. It gave me focus. It gave me discipline and confidence and all the things we hear martial arts do, but it just helped me get out of my head. And I started to have these insights. And that's when I started writing my blog, Little Black Belt. And then about a year later, I thought, okay, I think I've got enough to write a story. And that's how the whole book Kicking and Screaming came about. Um, I read the book. I thought it was spectacular. I think there's a, there was a number of parts that I, I could absolutely relate to for, for various reasons. What is it about martial arts that you find to be that, that outlet? There's a couple of things. As an introvert, this is going to sound ironic, but the sense of community 
is very strong. Um, I mean, I'm the introvert type that I wish we could do social distancing forever, (laughs) but (laughs) I do, we all still do need some kind of connection and people find that in different ways. Some people find it with their church or their family or their workplace or hobbies. And with martial arts, is a a strong community because you're working really hard together. You're fighting with each other, you're learning, you're getting hurt together. And there's also uh, such a strong sense of loyalty. I've been at, I guess, three different martial arts schools now, if you count the one where I was as a child, and people care about you. I mean, we've, we're, we're going through things at my school right now with somebody who just had a serious injury. So we're thinking about, you know, can we give her an Uber gift card to get her to work? We have somebody whose spouse is going through a serious illness. We're thinking about ways we can help them. So you develop this sense of community and family. It's just, it's just sort of organic. And, and I've heard it's not unique to Taekwondo. It happens in all different aspects of martial arts. So there's the community aspect. And then on the individual aspect, you are challenged in a way where you are meeting goals, but it's also safe to fail. You know, the world is not going to end because you didn't pass your yellow belt test. <laughs> and sometimes it, it feels that scary. But yeah, you, you get this sense of accomplishment from meeting these little goals along the way. When I first started, my grandmaster gave me this handout and it had all the requirements for black belt. And I thought, black belt, I just don't want to, I want to just stop drinking whiskey for dinner every night. <laughs> I'm not even thinking about black belt right now. So you have these small goals in place of, oh, I'll get to yellow belt or I'll break a board or I'll go fight in a tournament. And then you start thinking about bigger goals, like getting your black belt or becoming an instructor, bigger things like that. So it gives you this uh, validation isn't the right word, but it's a safe place to fail. And it's also a safe place to succeed. You get these little moments of validation where you do a move correctly and the instructor says, good job, or you win a match and it starts to build up over time. So these little bricks of confidence build up over time. And then you have this strong foundation of confidence. I I absolutely agree with that. I'm, I'm a big fan of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I I did some martial arts uh, some years ago before I, had to sidestep for some medical issues. Um, for me, and dealing with the mental health issues that I've had and, and gone through, for me, getting myself physically exhausted, which in jiu-jitsu, that's quite easy to do, but that feeling of kind of almost having to crawl off the mat because you're completely physically, physically exhausted, that with jiu-jitsu, you're also mentally exhausted, it's kind of hard to put into words the almost euphoric sensation that you have when you've completely exhausted yourself with a good role. Um, have you done any other martial arts aside from Taekwondo or is it just strictly Taekwondo for you? It's just been Taekwondo with some Hapkido mixed in. So, but I have not done anything like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or Judo or any other martial arts. I think I've taken a Muay Thai class here and there, which I like that. That's fun. Um, but I'd like to learn more. If I had the time, I'd probably seek out a, an old school Hapkido school to learn more of the joint locks and throws and things yeah. like that. We always had that mixed in because I had this old 80 something year old Korean grandmaster who came from the, the world of Taekwondo coming up in the fifties and sixties. So we learned all that old school stuff. You don't see that as much anymore, but I get what you're saying on the, the joy of that exhaustion. It's like when you take it like a dish towel and you just wring it out and that's what it feels like it's doing to your body and your brain. And I think sometimes we need that. We just need that sense of euphoric exhaustion so you can rest and then you're rejuvenated. 
it's almost like a hard reset. My, mm-hmm. um, I, I've known people who've who done Taekwondo. Um, a good friend of mine growing up did it for a while. My cousin, I think, earned his black belt um, at a young age. I think like 13, 14, he was a black belt. Um, so we used to, to mess around a lot. I've always been in the wrestling. I, I wrestled through high school, middle school. So having fun at you know parties and things like that. And my friend happened to dislocate my shoulder with an ax kick, and I still mm-hmm. managed to get him to the ground. And I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> now that you've been a black belt for a few years, you've mentioned in the book that it's not the end of your journey. It's actually the beginning of a journey. What has Mar- uh, Taekwondo done for you since you've gotten your black belt? Since I've gotten my black belt, I feel like I've changed a lot. I feel like I'm even a different person than I was in the book. That was 2015 me, and now it's 2022 me, and I've been through a lot since then. So, you know, your life doesn't magically change overnight when you get a black belt. (laughs) I've kind of heard this with other things, like if you win the lottery, if you get a job, you're still you with that black belt. So I'm still me with a black belt. But it did show me that I could accomplish something. And so that went over to other aspects of my life. I could accomplish things in the workplace. Uh, A really valuable lesson that I got that I know you read in the book was that I can be okay without a relationship. That was one of my addictions, so to speak, was uh, toxic love and relationships. And so I learned how to be independent. So doing something that, like, like passing a black belt best can test can prove to you that, okay, if you can do this, you can do all kinds of other things. So I wouldn't say I've taken on all kinds of risks now, but I've thought back to that often when I've had some kind of challenge, usually with work or something, I'll think, okay, Black Belt, you've gotten through sparring matches, you can get through this difficult presentation or this scary deadline on a project, you can get through this. So that's what I've just reminded myself over and over. It's okay, Black Belt, come on, you can you can do this. You've done things before. You've done things that are harder. Keep going. So it's, it's like this built-in motivation. Have you become an instructor at all? Or And actually, can I inquire what level you're at now? I'm at a second-degree Black Belt. I've been an instructor off and on. I changed schools, and then I've been out for about a year and a half due to a severe knee injury, and I'm just now coming back. But the thing I always kind of liked about the culture of Taekwondo is that whether you're a formal instructor or not is that leadership is sort of expected of you at that level. And and I have to say in Taekwondo, there are a lot of kids. So if you're one of the older teenagers or adults, people are looking for you to help lead anyway. And so um, I, I work in leadership development, my job, I've done that for 10 years, but I think I've learned just as much about leadership being a black belt. So yeah, you're you're always there to pitch in, to coach at tournaments, to lead classes. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've never been like on the the docket for a formal instructor for a class, but I've definitely stepped in many time, taught classes, or you know, you the main instructor has a group of students here, and I take a group of students over here, and or I do a lot of one on one coaching. So yeah, it's it's just it's just kind of expected of you. When I moved to my newer school. My newer dojong, I wasn't doing that as as much, which was kind of a nice break. I mean, and I didn't want to waltz in there and start bossing those students around when they didn't know me either. Um, So that was kind of nice just to be a student again. So um, I don't know if I would ever want to be a formal instructor like on the payroll because then you start to miss your chance of just being a student. Understandable. I've coached youth sports for 
easily the last 10 or so years between football with my oldest and hockey and wrestling. I, I have a passion for wrestling that as a coach, it's hard to explain or put in the words the feeling you get conveying your passion and, and seeing it received. Um, you know, the, the kids kind of, their eyes light up. You see their progression from, you know, not really having a clue what they're doing on the mat to, you know, being very successful wrestlers. Um, I, I'm a big proponent that if you have a, a skill set that you can instruct or, or help somebody, you know, take advantage of that because not a lot of people, it, it, not a lot of people have the ability to convey their passion in a way that's constructive and, um, I guess, easily understood. Um, I've met some people that are phenomenal coaches. I've met people that are not so good coaches. Um, you know, I think it's all a matter of perspective. I've always lived my life in a way of, you know, what can I do to help somebody else? And I think that, as you pointed out with martial arts, you get that sense you're always there to, to build somebody up. You're not there to knock somebody down. Um, and just, you know, being that hand for some people is what they need. Given the climate over the last few years and, and the attempt to destigmatize mental health, um, what are your thoughts on the current state of mental health in the U.S.? We'll go with. I think it's better. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to preface this saying I am not a mental health professional, so I'm just sharing my anecdotal experience. I think it's better. I think the pandemic shined a spotlight on uh, the inequality some people face in not getting access to mental health care and also normalizing the need for everyone to have access to mental health care when they need it. Uh, during the pandemic, it was it was so there were other things going on too um, with George Floyd's murder and 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 all of those things. It was just a very frightening year, and it was uh, a lot of people were scared and upset. They were losing their jobs. It was terrifying, and that, that showed that we we desperately need easy, affordable access to mental health care. And then in 2021, it was interesting because I experienced this myself. There was kind of this phenomenon of languishing. I think there was a New York Times or uh, it might have been New York Times, it was an article about how people thought, okay, it's 2021, the bad year is over, it, but the, the problems didn't go away and we just felt even worse. So for myself, for my own journey, I finally got to a breaking point where I actually went back and started seeing a counselor again and getting treatment for an untreated eating disorder. And uh, I worked up the courage to have a conversation with my boss. I had never, ever, 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 talked about my mental health in the workplace before. Uh, I just now, she just now found out that I wrote a book as she is, she's actually leaving the organization <laughs> and I finally gave her a copy of my surprise or a book about my mental health. Um, but it's, there's been a stigma. I, I've worked in healthcare for almost 20 years. There's a stigma there too. Yeah. People make jokes about medication. People make jokes about psych wards. Um, but we're learning that that mental health is just as important as physical health. So I had a conversation saying like, look, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. And here are some ideas that I have. Want to hear ideas that you have. And, and long story short, we worked with employee health to get me some accommodations that I needed. And, and that's been my message to people is that the Americans with Disabilities Act is there to protect you right? and to protect your employer too, but it's there to protect you and it's there to help you. 
And um, now can everybody have that conversation with their boss? I don't know. And I don't, will I be able to, I don't know who my new boss is going to be. I don't know. Will I be back at square one? And if I'm having some difficulty, will I be able to safely say, yes, I'm having these issues. Um, so I think I'll have to kind of take my own advice and say, I am protected by law. Uh, these mental health conditions are protected by law. I have HR and employee health to help me. So I think more companies are realizing that, Emotional and mental health is important. Um, in my own company, we've had things like a self—it's they call it a self-care check-in, and it's just like a, it's a virtual Microsoft Teams meeting where they have a social worker and a counselor on there, and they just talk and say, "How are you doing?" You know, send, send some funny memes. Just let's talk about how we're coping with things. Um, I think they've added uh, whatever health benefit coverage they have for mental health. So just. Anecdotally, with my own company, I've seen it. If you get on social media like LinkedIn, which is kind of scary because it's starting to turn into Facebook, <laughs> but you see more evidence of people, either uh, CEOs, uh, leaders in the company, embracing mental health care for their employees or employees having success stories of getting the mental health accommodations they need in the workplace. All to say that the pandemic showed us that taking care of our mind is just as important as taking care of our body. I, I think that was very poignant and, and absolutely agree with it. The experiences that I've seen and, and dealt with either personally or, or otherwise um, is the frustration of trying to find, say, a therapist, and then you have to find somebody that's in your network, and then you have to find somebody that's in your network and accepting new patients. Um, you know, the, it, it, it's such a runaround, and there are some people who desperately need to talk to somebody, to vent, to to get a different perspective on things. Um, you know, maybe they need the medication aspect. Maybe they need somebody to say, hey, you should maybe try this idea or try this as a, you know, coping mechanism. Um, it, I would love to see a bigger stand from a healthcare perspective, from the insurance companies, um, and I guess in the, the general mental health realm of, of doctors that would be a little more willing, not a doctor myself, so I don't know exactly how crazy it is for caseloads and things like that, but um, I think you nailed it with things are getting better, and, and there are a lot of good things that have come out of the pandemic, um, but I also think that we have a, a, a far better, a longer trek ahead of us. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would love to see them push for less traditional means of therapy, you know, like you do with martial arts, um, you know, the meditation is, is kind of being a recurring thing. But I'm happy that you're not seeing as much of a stigma of people being afraid to talk about their mental health and actually seeking help. And um, I'm liking that people are, are really kind of sharing their own experiences to say, hey, you're not the only person that's had this. This is my experience. If you can relate to it, this is what I did. And, and people are looking at the, the less traditional means for, for help. Throughout the book, without giving any any hints or, or any big details away, there was a couple of things that kind of, your, your lines that put into me. Um, you mentioned that falling apart wasn't an option. What do you think is the prevailing notion for people that struggle with that? Why do you think that would be a an important maybe mantra to have for them? I don't know if that's a great mantra to have. So I, I, I've... It's some, I say my book isn't a cautionary tale, but it kind of is. So it's a cautionary tale from a recovering perfectionist. 
is that to me, I thought that falling apart was not an option. And But I think, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people live because this, removing the stigma is one thing, but getting access to care is another. So for me, I felt like there was a stigma, and there was in the workplace. I work for corporate healthcare. Corporate America is very, it's very much, everybody's a facade. Everybody's an avatar of who they really are. It's very, very fake. And it's very uh, perfectionistic and, and kind of high strung. And people want to put on their best mask all the time. Some of that is culture that that I experienced, and I think some of it was just me, too. So I don't want to put the blame on a certain employer or a boss or anybody like that. I think a lot of that was me because I did that earlier, and I did that long before I ever had a job. Mm. So I think that was just how I was, too, because that's when you're a perfectionist, when you have an eating disorder, you're always putting on that facade. I guess for me, when I felt like I couldn't stop working, for me it was um, I, I was the only person I had. I mean, I have parents and I have family, but I, I didn't want to, you know, lose my apartment and lose my job and move back in with my parents. I'm sure they would have welcomed me, but I just thought that that wasn't an option. I couldn't quit my job. I almost envied people who were, who just quit their job and check themselves into a facility. I didn't think I could do that because I started thinking about all the details of, well, who would pay this month's rent, who would buy food. And I know there are people in many, many, many people who have that same dilemma of, well, I can't get care because I've got kids to take care of, or I've got a mortgage, or, you know, maybe they, they're they an air traffic controller. I don't know. They, they You know, people, people rely on them. So we don't have a very good system in place for people to just step back for a minute and get the care we need. I don't want to go off on this tangent, but I am going to plant a little seed, is that it kind of sucks that we're beholden to an employer for our health insurance that it's just not readily available. Agreed. I, I'm not going to go, you know where I'm going with that tangent. I'm not going to go off on it. But um, the, the thought also that I can't stop working because I need the mental health care because I'm so stressed out by my job. So it's like this cycle that you can't get out of. But yeah, for me, I just thought I, financial stability is really, really, really important to me. And so I was so I was more afraid of losing that than really I was afraid of the damage I was causing to my mental health. Yeah, I, I kind of brought that out the wrong way. I didn't mean that as a, as having that phrase as a mantra because it's clearly not a good idea to have that as a mantra. But I think mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to that that thought process of I can't fail. There's too many people that rely on me. There's too many things that would fall apart, and and all that does is add extra pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the other points that you brought up was, uh, an idea that a lot of women are perhaps put in, in a situation where they're on their own doing or by their significant other, where they're kind of forced into having a baby. What advice would you give to people who are kind of in similar, in a similar situation like that where you were? That you're not alone, that it exists, that reproductive coercion is a form of domestic violence and domestic abuse. And that was something I learned, and the, the person we're speaking about wasn't the first person who tried to pressure me to have a baby, but, um, you know, we often don't hear about 
people in society who don't want to have children. It's always very idealized, and there's so much pressure. And, I, and I'm not really going to you know, say either way which one is good or bad. Your choice is your choice, and how you want to live your life is how everybody should be supported in what they want to do. There are so much pressure on women who do have babies. You're doing it all wrong. You're feeding them the—well, why are you feeding them formula in the first place? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And then for women who don't want to have children, there's a different kind of pressure. So in my personal situation, it was not a good relationship. It was a a toxic relationship anyway. And then practically speaking, this joker didn't have a job. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I'm thinking long term, I'm not I'm not a gold digger. And I do like financial stability. I like where my next, you know, I know that I'm going to be able to pay the bills and pay the mortgage and buy food. And this person did not see the practicality, which was weird because he had children before. Um, I think his, his ex-wife took care of all of them. So, but, but the creepy pressure of, oh, I want you to have my baby. It'd be so romantic. It'll be so wonderful. I want you to be the mother of my child. To me, that's gross. And to me, that just diminishes me to the point that I'm just my reproductive organs. Um, And then also for me, you know, part of it was I chose to stay in a relationship where we wanted different things. So that was something that if I had done it differently, if he said he wanted more kids, I would have been like, sorry, we're not compatible let's call this off now. My desperation for a relationship, and this is where the abuse part comes in, my desperation for validation, approval, a relationship uh, superseded my own personal needs. So I stayed in a situation just, I was kind of of hoping he changes mind, which people, you know, hope, hope the other one changes their mind. Um, But I think the, the root of it was low confidence, patterns of abusive relationships, uh, low self-esteem. And that's why, you know, it's, it's hard to leave an abusive relationship from the outside. It looks like, why won't you do this? I, I read an early Goodreads review of my book and this person said, I got really frustrated with Melanie, just leave. And like, it's, it's so much harder to leave than you think it is. I wasn't, I wasn't dependent on him for money. That's for sure. But I was <laughs> dependent on him for a, that emotional high and he wasn't even that nice to me. He said some awful things to me. Um, but I was I was dependent on that relationship. Therefore, I took the pressure and abuse and the this fear that he was going to force me to have a baby I didn't want. And I would probably end up taking care of. Yeah. I, I can definitely say that I was frustrated reading the book. Um wondering why, you know, seeing what your, your journey and how you were progressing through martial arts and how you appeared to be um, improving your mental health throughout your, your journey through your black belt. But seeing some of the choices that you were making and, you know, choosing to stay in that situation, as a reader, I was like, to me, it was kind of clear this was this was not a good situation to be in. And oh, you, you and my mom feel the same way. <laughs> and you know, you, you you stayed with it. You also mentioned um, that you guys were two self-centered and depressed people, um, and that might have be might have been one of the contributing factors as to one why you stayed there, but also what ended you guys separating. Um, that phrasing and description of, of a couple rings with me because I know a couple that were very much like that. Um, and they got married, 
kind of seemed more like a, a sideshow sham and they lasted for maybe five years and then they, they separated and went their own ways. But like I said, there was, there was a number of points in the book that I'm reading going, wow, this is, this rings here or this rings here. Um, I, I definitely recommend anybody to go out and pick it up. It's, it's a fantastic read. Um, and hopefully they can pull some things out and rewire their own brain from reading that. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned to, again, to shift gears now, um, you have other podcasting ventures or other things that you do outside of work in martial arts? I do. So my uh, partner and I started a comedy podcast around September of last year. So 2021 was a hard year for me. That was a very depressing year. And in my depression, sometimes we get sparks of ideas. And I just kept thinking, we're so funny together. We, we love to watch movies and TV shows. And we'll often just stop and pause and comment. And we say some really funny things. And I thought, we've got to capture this somehow. So I... I thought about it, thought about it for a long time, and then I approached him with it, and I didn't know how he would feel. I do a lot of public speaking for my job, and I've done a lot of podcasts, so I'm comfortable with it. I didn't know how he would feel, but he was just, he jumped right on it. It was his idea to start a YouTube channel. He, We go live on Twitch, but not on a set schedule, but that's how we record. So uh, we decided to call it Movie Pain or Pleasure because we usually end up hate watching something like say the twilight movies or the death note movie, which was a terrible rendition of the anime or there are guilty pleasure like the fast and furious movies. So usually the movies we review and talk about and kind of do a play by play are quote unquote bad movies. Um, other times they'll just be ones that we really loved. Like our latest one was on the Maltese Falcon. That's a okay. fantastic movie. Yeah. And we just had a ball watching it and talking about it. But usually it's kind of a, a silly movie or a bad movie that will either just makes us angry and that's funny <laughs> yeah. or we loved the, the silliness and the stupidity of it. Yeah. The, there, there are some movies where just the absurdity makes it entertaining. Um, I saw that one of the movies that you reviewed was, um, we did best of the best. That's, that's martial it. Arts movie. Best okay. of the best. Um, which is a movie that, you know, I grew up on, you know, 70s Kung Fu theater, Bruce Lee, all those old classic martial art flicks. And then there was that trend in the late 80s, early 90s, where every quote unquote good martial artist was becoming the next action star. So I remembered, you know, best of the best is just being really cheesy and, and horribly choreographed. Mm -hmm. As opposed, but it's hilarious. To, oh, it is. <laughs> uh, and, and looking at it, you know, the absurdity now when you compare it to the movies like you know John Wick and Ong Bak. Um, number, I just read a list of twenty-five top martial arts movies, and you know, when you look at the the titles on that, it's you know, the choreography is just spectacular mm -hmm. to say the least. Do you still currently do your blog? Sometimes I haven't been as. Uh, I, I've never really posted religiously, but I just haven't had as many ideas. It's it's kind of go through phases where I'm busy with other things. We've been really busy with the podcast lately and just work and things like that and getting back into Taekwondo. Um, so I haven't done as much. I do keep it up. What I'm doing right now is I'm writing a monthly article for Marshall Journal, which is put together. I don't know if you know the guys from Whistlekick Radio, but uh, some of them are involved. It seems like the martial arts online world is very small, so I didn't know if you were yeah. aware of them or not, but they have a podcast too. 
and so I, I write a monthly article. Usually it's mental health related. So I've been doing that and I've been sharing that on my blog, but I'll probably, as I start getting back into Taekwondo, it's like my brain is waking up again. Yeah. That black belt fighting part of my brain just shut down. And now I'm starting to think a lot about martial arts again. So I think, I think you'll see more posts out of this, uh, this next year as I'm coming out of kind of a depressive phase and getting back into my training and going into a different, if different adventures. So yeah. yeah, I still keep up the blog, but it's been kind of quiet lately. Any chance of another book? Do you have any interest in writing another book in the future? I've thought about doing another memoir because I've been through so much since I got my first degree black belt. Um, I don't know. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth with that. I'd like to explore fiction. I have some ideas. And for me, writing fiction is so much harder than writing essays and memoirs and things like that. Because with memoir, it's, it, this sounds really stupid, but it's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to come up with the story. You just have to tell it in a, you just have to craft the narrative in a night in a way that's really enjoyable to read. So with fiction, I get kind of little sparks of ideas. And then I think, yeah, but then what happens? <laughs> and I'm waiting and waiting. And so... Uh, I think I'll try to do a novel. I, I'm going to look forward for that one. Um, I I enjoy writing too. I you know like you. I have I have ADHD, so my brain is all over the place all the time. Um, I think I've started writing a number of short stories, and then to just get distracted by something else and don't write it. Um, I think I want to try and get back now that I've kind of taken some steps in my own mental health journey to become a little more balanced, I think would be a good phrase. Um, I think I might want to kind of dive back and see if I can get anything similar to your, uh, your acclaim, <laughs> not memoirs, but just, uh, you know, sticking with the fiction stuff. Mm-hmm. Where, um, where do you see things progressing for you in the next few years? In the next few years, I would like to test for third degree black belt. So, that will be that the journey of coming back after a severe injury and surgeries is is a journey of its own. Sorry to use the word journey so much, but that's what it is. Um, I could be really cute and say journey like me, but um, my boyfriend will roll his eyes at me. <laughs> so um, coming back from from a, a really severe injury and and so there's that. Uh, taekwondo is different. I'm, I'm I'm approaching taekwondo in a different way. I was thinking earlier before our interview is that having a break and having downtime may have actually been good for me. It gave me time to focus on kind of the mental health crisis I was having. But also I learned that you can, there can be too much of a good thing. I kind of have an addictive brain anyway. And I think sometimes I relied too much on Taekwondo to be my source of happiness and to be my everything. And you can't do that with a person. You can't do that with a thing, with a, a hobby or a job or with anything. So I think I'm approaching it in a more balanced way where I love doing it and I love going, but it's not my entire world. With writing, I really do want to push myself to write a novel this year. I I published my memoir with a small independent press, and I think, honestly, I I would do it all over again the same way for that particular book, but I think I'm going to see what self-publishing is like. There are some communities online that are really helpful with that. I have a friend who's done it successfully. Um, and so I think that's what I want to try with these funny novels that I want to do is just, just get it out there. Well, I definitely wish you luck on that. Thank Um, you. 
I'm going to throw a couple questions at you that are hopefully elicit some fun answers. Um, you can answer it, you can pass it, you can have fun with it. So the first question is, would you rather be forced to listen to the same 10 songs on repeat for the rest of your life or be forced to watch the same five movies on repeat for the rest of your life? Oh, as a movie podcaster, I should probably say movie, but I think I think it would be songs. Because I love classic rock, so we'd probably have some... I, I couldn't name all 10, but Beatles and Led Zeppelin and things like that. There's just some songs you're so hungry to listen to. So I'm going to go with 10 songs. I, I'm right there with you. Music is, is such a important thing for me. Um, I, it totally affects my mood. It can change my mood for good things. It, it can pump you up when you need to be pumped up. It can mellow you out when you need to mellow out. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely there with the same 10, 10 songs. Would you rather speak in rhyme for the rest of your life or speak in riddles for the rest of your life? Riddles, because it would make me sound smart. <laughs> uh, I'm there too. I, I'm, I've always been a fan of the Riddler uh, from Batman. Uh, I, I'm there too. And, and infuriating. <laughs> People wouldn't know what to make with me. And that's how I get them because they're always on their toes. <laughs> <them> off guard. <laughs> would you rather fight a hundred duck-sized horses or one horse-sized <laughs> duck. <laughs> I'm picturing it. Horse-sized duck. I might take my chance with the horse-sized duck. I would go for the hundred duck-sized horses. The my, you just my punt them like a Yeah, you just kick them around and get them out of your way. The uh, the the horse-sized duck would probably just step on me and squash me. So. I'm with the ducks. <laughs> um, last one. Would you rather end every sentence or begin every sentence with, hey, idiot, or end every sentence with, ha, ha, just kidding? Ooh. I feel like, hey, idiot, would end up with me not being employed very quickly. <laughs> so as annoying as I would be with ha ha, just kidding. Oh, add that to speaking in riddles all the time. And then say, ha ha, just kidding. I'd be the most evil, probably gaslighting monster in the world. And I, I'm okay with that. That might be a new <laughs> venture for me. So ha ha, just kidding. I'll go with that. Awesome. I'm uh, I'm kind of there too. I think uh, say, starting off with, hey, idiot, could just really go sideways really quick. I'd rather be annoying than mean. Yeah. Where can people find your podcast, your your social media links and things like that, buy your book? Okay. A couple of things. I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at Melanie Gibson Author. And then we also have an Instagram for the podcast, Movie Painter Pleasure Podcast. So if you just find me, you'll find I have a link tree with all my links. And then you can link to the podcast. For Movie Painter Pleasure Podcast, we're on YouTube, Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. My website, Little Black Belt, has my blog. It has links to my book. Um, you can find my book anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the big sellers, but then bookshop.org and IndieBound and, and several other booksellers. So there are lots of ways to find me. Awesome. I will absolutely put your link tree in the comments, and hopefully people gravitate to there. I need to say the name of the book, too. Oh, I don't think we've mentioned that. What is the name of your book? I, 
I'm a bad author. Okay, my name. I'm a bad I'm host. A good author, but <laughs> no, I'm I'm a bad pu- publicity person. So my the name of the book is Kicking and Screaming: A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts. So if you're looking for my book, that's the title. <laughs> any uh, any parting words of advice that you would give any just people in general? Well, back to the mental health thing. Some advice I've been giving is it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to ask for help. Uh, wise words, very wise words that I think more people need to to take and digest and run with. I've stolen a good chunk of your time. I greatly appreciate the conversation, and I will bid you a good day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.